We're coming to the end of our study in the book of Genesis, and today we're in Genesis chapter 48. So I invite you to turn there with me today. We're in the last section of this great book. Actually, the last section began back in chapter 47, verse 29, where Jacob recognized that he was uh, near death and summoned Joseph to his bedside to essentially make funeral arrangements. Uh, He would not be buried in the land of Egypt, but would uh, have his body carried back into the land of promise. Before we read chapter 48, however, um, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing as we look at the story of Jacob blessing Joseph's sons. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of feeding upon it and being nourished by it. Our lives depend upon it. And we pray that today from your word that our minds and our hearts would be drawn to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that by your Holy Spirit we would offer up ourselves into the hands of our Savior for the glory of his name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 48, beginning in verse 1, let's hear God's word. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. They shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, that is Jacob, were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim and in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. 
And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the land of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Well, there is a reason People record the words of dying individuals. Uh, The prospect of death has a way of concentrating the mind. The prospect of death has a way of shedding away any hypocrisy or deceit and laying bare a person's soul. If you've been at someone's deathbed, you've witnessed this yourself, the the anxieties that a person is experiencing, the the fear that the person has, the questions the person is wrestling with, or perhaps the firm faith that they have in God's promises. In Genesis chapters 48 and 49, we have the dying words of Jacob. And his last testament is full of, of faith and hope in the God who had a purpose for his life before he was born, and a God who was not finished with him when he died. At the end of his days here, Jacob looks back on God's faithfulness and grace in his own life, and he looks forward to God being the same faithful, redeeming God to his, to his sons and his grandsons. Today, as we look at this this deathbed narrative, I think it challenges us to think about what we believe about life and, and about the way we think about our, our own mortality when, when death inevitably comes. And so today, as we look at this deathbed story, I want to I look at three parts. Uh, first of all, Jacob's reflection on his life. Second, Jacob's testimony to his God. And third, Jacob's blessing of his grandsons. And so in the first place, we think about Jacob's reflection on his life. Uh, Genesis 48 opens with Joseph bringing his two sons to his his old, worn-out, weary father uh, in order to receive blessing from them. And the way the the story's told, you you can picture it yourself. As they arrive, Jacob summons all of the strength that he has to to just sit up in bed. And he offers this profound reflection upon his life. He reflects upon the basic story of of his life. He recalled the the experience of 
of leaving and then returning to the land of Canaan and connected to those events are two key events that really define uh, all of Jacob's life. When he left home with nothing, running for his own life, uh, God met him at at Luz or, or Bethel and promised him blessing. He promised him an inheritance and to make him into a nation that would be great in the earth. And then as he returned to the land of Canaan, he was met with with sadness and tragedy, the loss of his beloved wife, Rachel. And I think these two events represent Jacob's life as a whole, which from start to finish was lived in the in the tension between God's wonderful promises and and the bitter reality of life's pains and and struggles. God promised Jacob at the beginning of life's journey the the blessing of Abraham, that God would be with him, that God would make his name great, that God would give him an inheritance. And then he's returning to the land of promise Many years later, and it's anything but a triumphal entry. As he comes back into Canaan, it's, it's marked by this experience of deep pain and loss, the loss of Rachel, his wife. If you think about it, though, it is, it is therefore a mark of Jacob's deep faith that at the end of his life, he wants to pass this blessing on to his grandkids. Because during his lifetime... Jacob didn't see anything remotely close to the fulfillment of these promises that God had given to him. And yet, nevertheless, Jacob still believed that the the promised blessing mattered enough to pass on to the next generation. Even when, even Jacob's experience of of devastating loss became a testament uh, to his, his faith in God. You remember Rachel's last wish as she was dying was to name her son Benoni, son of my affliction. And Jacob said, no, he shall be called Benjamin, the son of my right hand. He was was acknowledging that even in the midst of this hard and difficult circumstance, that God could uh, transform painful circumstances into blessing. Similar to the faith that we see in his son Joseph when his son Ephraim is born down in Egypt. Ephraim, fruitful. And Joseph says, because the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Jacob and Joseph both believed that God could turn sorrowful, painful affliction into a source of fruitful blessing. And my friends, perhaps some of you find yourselves in the midst of some difficult disappointment that is a source of pain in your life, a source of loss perhaps. It could be the shattering of a relationship. It could be a relationship you feel is shattering you. It could be a severe health condition. It could be the loss of a loved one or some other trouble in your life. But we need to understand tears and suffering are a normal part of our sojourn here on earth. But Jacob and Joseph remind us that that the God we put our trust in is able to bring fruit out 
of that suffering. He is able to transform painful circumstances into a source of blessing for his people. We see that from Jacob's reflection on his own life. But the second thing we see in this deathbed story is not only Jacob reflecting upon his own life, we also see Jacob's testimony to his God. Just Jacob's testimony to the character of his God is, is the centerpiece of, of this chapter, I think. We saw before the, the pessimistic uh, testimony of Jacob before Pharaoh and when he arrived down in Egypt. You remember Pharaoh asked him the question, uh, how many days are the years of your life? And, and Jacob responded by saying, uh, few and evil have been the years of my life. But now 17 years later, um, 17 years of peace and restoration with his family, with Joseph by his side, Jacob is now able to offer a more balanced assessment of his sojourn here on earth. And to be sure, his life, his life has been marked by pain and sorrow and loss and disappointment. The, the loss of Rachel and the terrible pain that Jacob experienced when he believed that his son Joseph had been, had been killed. Those are just two of the hard experiences that marked Jacob's experience in this life. Yet, with, with the greater perspective of the last years of his life, Jacob could see and testify to what God had been doing throughout his life. And so take a look with me at verses 15 and 16, where Jacob describes the Lord as, as the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Jacob highlights there two aspects of God's character. God is faithful. And God is a, a shepherd who redeems his people from all evil. Let's think about those two things for a moment together. First of all, Jacob's God is faithful. The Lord was the God of his grandfather and his father before him, the God of Abraham and Isaac. And now looking forward, Jacob trusted that he would be the God of his sons and his grandsons after him, the God of Joseph, the God of Ephraim, the God of Manasseh. Jacob is testifying here to the, the covenant faithfulness of God from generation to generation. My friends, this this ought to be a, a precious, precious truth for us who by grace are God's people, covenant families. Because it's reminding us that in the Bible, God doesn't just come to us as random, unconnected, isolated individuals. He, he deals with us as families. You know, many of us are, are witnesses to that fact. Many of us were not the the first to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in, in our family tree. I was just talking to one of you last night at the barbecue, and we were talking about how we can look back and, at our own family story and see how the Lord was at work in generations before us. 
Our parents believe before us. This is many of our stories and their parents before them. In other cases, you might be the first one in your family to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Even then, God is not dealing with you as an isolated individual apart from your family. God is giving you and your family a promise, not just to be your God, but to be the God of your children also. And you see, God's covenant faithfulness to to families is, is the logic behind the baptism of covenant children, as well as the circumcision of children in the old covenant, which we were introduced to earlier in the book of Genesis. If you think about, think about this for a moment, if, if God dealt with us simply as isolated, unconnected individuals who are left to our own resources and our, our own personal decision whether to follow him or not, baptizing children would make no sense whatsoever. It would make a lot more sense to, to wait until an adult professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before they receive the sign of belonging to Christ. But notice here, Abraham did not wait until Isaac was an adult to circumcise him. Instead, he was commanded to circumcise him on the eighth day as a covenant sign, as a sign of belonging to God's covenant people, a sign which called for faith as children of the covenant grew, a a sign which held them responsible to express faith and walk in repentance, to live a life of faith before the Lord and walk in repentance before him. And of course, circumcision like baptism was, was not an automatic guarantee of salvation. After all, Ishmael and Esau were equally commanded to be circumcised just as Isaac and Jacob were. But Ishmael and Isaac, as they grew up and rejected the covenant, it became clear that that their hearts had not been renewed. That while they possessed the outward sign of belonging to the covenant, they didn't possess the inward reality, namely a circumcised heart. A heart that had been washed and made new and cleansed by the Lord. But this is... This is, this is important because the circumcision of children in the Old Testament was, first of all, it was not merely an ethnic marker of, of Jews in the Old Testament. But more importantly than that, the circumcision of children in the Old Testament was not a testament about a person's choice of the Lord. How would that be possible for a Young boy, eight days, you're eight, eight days old. It was always an act of faith on the part of parents that the Lord was willing to be the God of their children also. Isn't it incredible that God is willing to be our God and the God of our children too? And when we baptize our, our children, we declare that the promise of God given on the day or reiterated on the day of Pentecost is still true. That he will give his Holy Spirit to us and to our children and as many who are, who are still far off whom the Lord God calls to himself. Uh, who do not come from Christian homes and families but who, who by God's grace are grafted in, brought into his family 
as believing adults. See, our God is faithful to us and our children, and he promises to give the gift of faith in Christ to all those whom he has chosen and called. But I think this is also, this, this story that we're reading here and what Jacob says to his grandsons is, I think, a, a needed reminder for us as parents. God's faithfulness from generation to generation is a precious truth for parents who are aware of how sinful and how much they fail in their role as parents. Because sometimes, well, sometimes we fail by making our children think that they're the center of the universe. Sometimes we fail by making too little of them and not loving them the way that we should. Sometimes we open them up to compromising circumstances which we should have never placed them in. Sometimes we, we try to shelter them from hard things that would actually be good for their growth. At best, we are imperfect examples of what it means to follow Christ. And, and when we sin, we're often bad examples of what it means to live a life of repentance before the Lord. And maybe, maybe you've wondered, I hope I'm not the only one who's asked myself this question. Lord, how is it possible for my children to know and love the Lord with me as their father? You know what the answer is? The answer is God's faithfulness. The answer is God's covenant faithfulness. Our children have the same hope we do, which rests upon the unchanging promises of God, which are for us and for our children. And so, young people, I, 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 want, I want you to know today that the gospel of God's grace in the Lord Jesus is just as much for you as it is for your parents. You don't have to reach a certain age to qualify for it. Because for many of you, when you were utterly helpless and you had no idea what was actually going on, the Lord placed a sign of his grace upon you, which calls you to a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, assuring you that whoever believes on him will be saved. And so if we take hold of the promise, we and our children will be saved in spite of all of our weakness, failure, sin, because God's grace is greater than all our sin. And so in verse 15, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked reminds us that God takes sinful, dysfunctional families and redeems them in Jesus Christ. And so Jacob testifies to God's faithfulness. And the second truth about God's character that Jacob testifies to is that God is the shepherd who redeems his people from evil. This is a remarkable claim because the word used or translated here for evil encompasses not only moral evil, but what we might call situational evil. Both the bad things that are, are done to us by others and, and the bad things that just seem to happen to us. The, the, the situations we find ourselves in. Sometimes in the Bible, this word is simply translated as harm. But 
think about it with me for a second. Can it, can it really be said that God protected Jacob from all harm so that none of the bad things that often happen to people living in this fallen world happen to him? Surely, surely that is not what Jacob is saying here. After all, he's just reflected upon the, the sorrowful loss of his beloved wife, Rachel. We've, we've already seen how hard it was for him when he received the news that, or so he thought, that his son Joseph had died. His life had been full of painful experiences that came through the circumstances of his life and through the deliberate sins of others committed against him. So so what is Jacob saying here? Is this just empty religious talk? Is this just, uh, you know, the opiate of the masses? Um, a, A crutch for people trying to cope with their problems? No. Jacob, what he's saying is that God redeemed him from all of that evil. It's not that bad things never happened to him, but rather that those bad things were worked by God into something that was good. That's that's what Jacob is affirming here about God. He had had redeemed all of the tragic events of Jacob's life. Instead of destroying him and devastating him, these traumatic experiences had been so redeemed by God that now good flowed from them. That's what Jacob is testifying to here. None of Jacob's pain would be wasted. None of his his sorrow would be in vain. None of it would be fruitless. Throughout all the days of his life, the good shepherd had been leading him to green pastures and through the dark valleys where there are deep shadows, providing good for him and redeeming evil, bringing blessing and, and hope even in the midst of the darkest circumstances that Jacob faced. Now, I think, I think it's crucial for us to notice that it is often only an older believer, an older saint, who can have this kind of testimony to God's faithfulness. His, his faithfulness and his power to redeem his people from evil. You know, when, when Jacob was young, he may have been able to affirm these things theoretically and intellectually and rationally, but now at the end of his life, he can affirm this truth about God experientially because God has proven it to him. And there are many lessons that we could draw out from that, one of them being that if you find yourself in the midst of a dark circumstance, a hard providence, you may very well not be able to see in that moment how God is going to redeem you from that evil. But the thing I really want to draw out from it today is to simply say this is a reminder that we younger Christians need our fathers and mothers in the faith. It's one of the reasons we don't segregate ourselves as a church family Because we younger believers need the testimony of our fathers and mothers in the face to uh, uh, fathers and mothers in the faith who've been through hard experiences, uh, difficult experiences, bitter experiences, and, and learn from them because they have come to know more deeply the faithfulness, the shepherding care, and the redeeming work of our God. 
And so Jacob here reflects upon his own life. He, he, he gives testimony to the character of his God. And then thirdly, I want us to look at Jacob's blessing of his grandsons. It's recorded in, in verse 8, really through the end of the chapter. Joseph presents his two sons to Jacob for blessing. The younger brother, Ephraim, is given priority over the other older brother, Manasseh. And Joseph protests at first, thinking, oh man, here we go again, back to the old family shenanigans. Uh, but uh, it seems as though Jacob is doing what he's doing by direction from the Lord. He says, I know, my son, I know, but this is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, regardless, both, both sons receive blessing from uh, their grandfather, Jacob. Both of them are actually adopted as Jacob's own sons. That's why Later in the Bible, we'll, we'll read about the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh in the land of promise. But before he died, what I want us to see is Jacob wanted to pass on the blessing of, this, of, of knowing and walking with this faithful, shepherding, redeeming God. He wants to bless them. But my friends, I think, I think the word... Bless is probably one of the most devalued words in the English language today. We use it so flippantly. It's used most often when someone sneezes and we say bless you without recognizing that that actually goes back to the medieval period when, uh, when a plague would come into a town. People understood uh, plagues as acts of divine judgment. And one of the symptoms of the plague was sneezing. And when a person sneezed, another, uh, someone would say, bless you. In other words, may you not come under the judgment of God, but may you be preserved by Him. May you know His gracious preservation. May He preserve your life. May He be kind and good to you. Bless you. There was substance to it. Just as there is substance here to Jacob's blessing of his grandsons. And dear friends, the same blessing that Jacob is passing on to his grandson belongs to us. We who are spiritual descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the Israel of God. Those who have trusted in Abraham's offspring. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I think we can go further, further than that and say we can, we can see and testify even more than Jacob could that the Lord is our faithful shepherd who redeems us from all evil because from where we stand, we can see more fully what it costs for Christ to be our faithful shepherd who redeems us from evil. And just think about that with me for a moment. To be our Redeemer, God's own Son had to enter this world of suffering and evil. Christ had to expose Himself to wickedness, to evil. Evil done by the hands of wicked men. And through these hard experiences, He, he learned how to trust His Father in dark and hard days. You see, the Son of God came and lived as one of us. He assumed a, a human nature, a human body, meaning that he could, be, he could be mocked. 
He could be rejected. He, he could be stripped of all of his clothing and dignity and scourged and beaten to the point of death. He had, he had hands and feet of living flesh that could be pierced with nails. He had a, a side that could be, uh, well, could be speared. He had a heart that could be broken by hypocrisy and deceit and betrayal and faithlessness and abandonment. And you see that the one who is our good shepherd experienced evil at the hands of men, but he willingly subjected himself to that in order to take the place of his errant sheep. And in order to redeem them, the faithful son was cursed by his own Father, in order to buy us back from bondage and bring us to enjoy his eternal inheritance. He redeemed us by taking us to, him, to himself, our, our punishment, the punishment our sins deserve. So you see, Jesus is the ultimate revelation that God in Christ is our faithful shepherd redeemer. And at the end of his life, Jacob is able to say to his, his grandsons, the Lord has been my faithful shepherd all my days. and He has redeemed my life. I, I don't know about you, but grandparents, grandfathers, and grandmothers, I, I, I want this to be the legacy that I pass on to my descendants. What do you say, grandfathers? Grandmothers on your deathbed to your children and grandchildren. I hope it's something like this because at the end of your days, you've lived for the things of this world. If you've lived for fleeting temporary things, if you've put all your stock in the things of this earth, what do you really have to offer your children at the end of your days but an empty cup? But if this God has been your God, he has been faithful to you through all your days. He has shepherded your soul and he has redeemed your life. What a wonderful legacy of blessing we have to pass on to our children. But you know, you might be a lot like Jacob. After all, Jacob's life was a mess. His, his life was marked by sin and failure. His life was hampered by a deceitful heart. He was constantly letting go of God and grabbing hold of other things. I think, I really think that if there was a theme verse in the Bible for Jacob's life, it would be Paul's words in Romans 5 that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Jacob's story is that there is more forgiving grace in God than there is sin in us. And so here is the gospel in the life of this old man, pointing us to the blessing of our Savior. And you see, as one of his last acts, Jacob prays that his grandchildren, now adopted sons, would know the blessing of this God, to know the grace of this faithful, shepherding, redeeming God. I think Jacob's deathbed story, it's a, it's a powerful one, because here is a man who is ready to die because he now understands the meaning of his life and he, and he knows personally the faithful shepherd God who redeems him from all evil. 
gives him, brings him into a promised inheritance. I think one of the things we need to recognize as we think about the story in relation to ourselves is, my friends, like Jacob, we are all dying. As Puritan said when pastor is preaching, he is preaching as a dying man to dying men and women. And none of us know how long we have to live or when God is going to call us to meet him. I think one of the questions that this story places before us to ask ourselves is, are you ready to meet this God? Is Jacob's testimony your testimony? God has been your faithful shepherd who has redeemed the evil of your life. If not, perhaps, perhaps today is the day when God is calling you into a new relationship with him where your testimony will become God is my faithful shepherd who has redeemed me from the pit. So, my friends, the invitation is to come to the Lord and bow down to him in faith. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this story, it's here to remind you and assure you that God is your faithful shepherd who will redeem you from evil. That means the evil committed against you, all the evil circumstances in your life right now, all the aspects of your life that are painful and seem completely out of your control. God will redeem it all. That is one of the promises that he gives to his people. Let's be clear about this. Those things are evil. We don't need to try to explain them away as as something other than that. We live in an evil and fallen world. But the the cross and resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that we, we trust in a God who brings glorious good out of the deepest darkness, eternal blessing out of the ugliest evil, even resurrection out of death itself. My friends, this is, this is our God. This is our faithful shepherding God who is committed to, to leading you all the days of your life, even to your death here on earth, when he will welcome you then into your glorious inheritance in Christ and all the evil of your life will be fully and finally redeemed. When I read Jacob's testimony, it makes me want to get down on my knees and praise God and say what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. To know that this God is our God and that he promises to be a God to us and to our children. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, we are, uh, we are very conscious that our biography is so much like Jacob's, marked by sin and failure. And so we thank you today for the greater biography of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled the law perfectly for us and then received the death that we deserve to receive ourselves. We thank you for his resurrection, which testifies that you have received his sacrifice on our behalf. Lord Jesus, be our faithful 
good shepherd who redeems our lives from all evil in order that we might testify to the coming generations of your faithfulness, of your grace, and of your love. We ask these things in your name. Amen.